Joshua chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never seen this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark, and do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Good morning, everyone. Well, I grew up in the 19... 60s, 1970s, in a house that was um, that really followed those strange and turbulent times. It really, it was just the norm. Uh, the classic therapeutic metaphor goes like this: there, there was an elephant in the living room, and nobody would talk about it. It was chaos. It was trauma, and left every family member really groping and searching for something stable to hold on to. So I want to begin by asking you this question. How do you handle uncertainty? Have you figured out how to thrive in a season and time that is unstable and unclear? For sure, that's the question we're all asking right now in times like these. It's, there's so much uncertainty around us. There's so many layers of issues, and they're really they're challenging and they're difficult. The pandemic issue is, is unclear, perhaps changing, and it's really messing with everything in our economy, the schools, the businesses, the travel. It causes us to question what we should do, what we should not do, and it, it really is a heavy weight of stress upon us all. I think the same is true for the culture, right? There's a lot of unrest and discord layered across politics and race and economics and even religion. You know, the only, only time I can think about in the past that even comes close to what we're experiencing today is, is those years that I was born into, the, the 1960s, the 1970s. I, I was far too young to understand, and many of you perhaps were not even born at that time, but just think of what our parents and, and grandparents lived through. We, we had the threat of a, a nuclear war. We had a president assassinated. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, followed by Bobby Kennedy. And then there was all this going alongside it, the Vietnam War, civil rights, racial tension, and of course, the race to space. We ended the decade with Woodstock, and we began the next decade with uh, Kent State and four students dead. And then finally, Watergate. Now that was an entire decade and a few years. And much of that was contained within the borders of our country. How does that compare to six months of a pandemic that spans the world? So as we walk through these times, I think the question we want to know is, how do we navigate and thrive through seasons of uncertainty? And that brings us to Joshua chapter 3 today. It's a, it's a beautiful gem hidden in, in the Old Testament and embedded in these wonderful verses of Joshua, really are the reminders to us of how to live our life during difficult and uncertain times. 
Now, we know the context of the text. It's right there. You can read it as, as Tim read it for us. The children of Israel are waiting to enter the promised land. Uh, they are right there about to cross over. And now these are the sons and daughters of those who came out of Egypt, and there's only two exceptions, Joshua and Caleb. Everyone else, all they've ever known is, is the wilderness wandering. And then you see that phrase. You see that phrase that uh, Tim read for us. You have never been this way before. You have never been this way before. I love, love that phrase. And let's be honest, um, that really captures life, doesn't it? Places we have never entered before. Early adulthood, we have never been that way before when we first step into that. Dating and courting our, our future spouse, we have never been that way before. Marriage and parenthood, having your third child, never been this way before. And it just goes on with aging parents and loss of a spouse and disability. These are places when we first step into, these are places that are unknown, scary, because we have never been this way before. So the question is, how do we manage? How do we thrive? I think the first lesson that we see in our text here this morning is this. At all cost, our lives must engage and surround the presence of God. Engage and surround. I had an opportunity a few weeks ago to talk to a, a young couple who just was thinking about marriage in their future. So I wanted to introduce the wonderful Ecclesiastes verse about the three chords not easily broken. And as I chatted with them and I got to know them a little bit, I could see that the chords that they were holding on to were, well, were this. Uh, we're going to date and we're, we're going to try this on for size. We're going to see if this is right and if this fits. Uh, then we're going to get engaged, and we're going to continue to experiment and see if, you know, this is going to work and has legs that will last. And, and I think finally we'll end up getting married. This, this is what they were holding on to. Now we know that three chords not easily broken in Ecclesiastes really speaking to the two that shall become one under the covenant bond and commitment to God who comes into the marriage and becomes three chords not easily broken by the world or the flesh. And so it really begs the question, well, at what point do those three chords come together? You know, is it at the altar? Is, is it during our first crisis as a couple, when we have kids? And, and I hope we would all come together and agree that we need to engage God and surround him and his presence in all of our planning and, and our future plans for marriage. And every aspect of the journey, way before we ever fully cross over. That was a primary lesson for the nation Israel. Numbers 2 describes the layout, the plans for how the 12 tribes were to camp and move around the very presence of God. The layout was very detailed, carefully laid out by God. So we too should make sure our lives, every aspect of our lives, engages with and surrounds the presence of God, not forgetting any small detail. I mean, really, it is the key for our lives to become what God intends them to become. When everything else is unstable, we need something stable and true and sure, and that becomes the key to moving into these areas we have never been before. You know, children that are raised in trauma, 
They know one thing. They know chaos. They know volatile behavior. So what they do is they learn coping strategies, these new skills to survive, but they're not healthy behaviors at all. They attach themselves to more drama, and, and then trauma instability continues throughout their lives. And they're very destructive patterns of life. And we see this played out because children raised in trauma often become children who repeat, adults who repeat the maladaptive behavior patterns again in adulthood. Moses knew trauma. Just think of what he went through. When we first see him and are introduced to him, he's not nearly the leader that he will become because he has never been this way before. He's struggling at the very best until he meets and engages God, until in the wilderness he, he encounters the presence of God and it changes his entire life and he becomes the greatest leader in, in the Old Testament. When our life surrounds God's presence, it has this transformative effect. You know, God's presence through Moses led them out of Egypt. God's presence guided them through the wilderness, through the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. God's presence enveloped Moses on Mount Sinai. It's, it's all about God's presence. These lessons are so, so important. We hear them again and again. Moses said, what else distinguishes us from all the people on the earth except God's presence? I hope we can make that, that same claim. We can't go into the future without God's presence. The future God has for us to thrive through times of uncertainty, through instability. It's all about keeping our lives engaged and in touch and surrounding it with God's presence. Anything short of that, we are left groping and searching for something desperately to hold on to. It's the model that God had for the nation Israel. We can see that. We can see it in this text that Tim read for us. In verse 3, it speaks of the ark of the covenant. Now, I don't know what your image is of the Ark of the Covenant, but it, it wasn't much bigger than this pulpit platform. Three or four feet by two feet, covered in gold, cherubim on top, a mercy seat where the high priest would come and sprinkle blood once a year for the forgiveness of sins. It was always about the presence of God. And as they planned for this move into a place they had never been to before, they were told, keep your eye on the Ark of the Covenant. Because in, in a season of instability, of uncertainty, of fear of what they were about to face, they needed something sure and solid that would be to hold on to. And God's presence is unshakable. Children raised in these homes that I keep alluding to, you know, filled with trauma, they know nothing about stability, but they're still launched into adulthood, and they need an anchor, they need a guide, and they need a rock-solid, unchanging truth. So if we look inside this Ark of the Covenant, I think we're going to find some things that draw us into the presence of God. God told the Israelites to place objects into the Ark of the Covenant. And these are things that give lessons for a life well-lived. Let's take a quick look. The first thing we're going to find in the Ark of the Covenant are the tablets, the Ten Commandments, the law of God. Now, we are called throughout the Old Testament and New to meditate, to pour over God's Word. Tim just said last week, he said, I, I just miss teaching Sunday school so much. 
I, I'm certain every time he teaches or preaches or leads a small group, God's word just overflows through his heart and his mind, allowing him to memorize more and more of God's word. And, and then he becomes what the scriptures illustrate, a tree planted by water, deeply, deeply rooted. God's word is life. We have to know that. God's word is life, and, it, and it'll begin to speak in you and through you, and, and your life will just be poured over by God, overflowing with his promises and blessings. Isaiah said, God's word is like the rain and the waters of the earth that brings forth its fruit. This is what God will do over us through, through his word, his promises, as, and the history of God moving as we read his word. It pours over us and overflows with blessings. And we know Paul referred to God's word as inspired by God, breathed out by God, or God breathed. When you experience God's word, you're, you're experiencing the breath of God. It's useful, it's profitable to go to places we have never been before. We cannot breathe in the chaos that surrounds us right now and hope to live in God's presence tomorrow. We cannot be breathing in God's, we cannot be breathing in the chaos and expect to go where God wants us to go. We cannot be engaged in sexual immorality and, and, expect, and expect to surround our family and marriages with God's presence and then be spiritual leaders in our home. We cannot spend hours and hours trolling on social media, ignoring God's word, and expect God to breathe life into our teachings to our children. And we cannot engage in angry, hurtful, hateful arguments around politics or social issues, and then to ask God to bless our work and our passions before us. We have to engage God's presence. We have to breathe in his life, his goodness, and as we do, we will then take on the holy characteristics of God. And that's, that's what the world needs today, right? They need God's breath, God's living presence ministering into their lives, God's living word. And that's what the tablets in the Ark of the Covenant represents, God's living, breathing word. You know, Jesus went into places he had never been before as well. But he knew, he knew that surrounding his life around the presence of the Father's words, his greatest joy, would give him the holy power that would sustain life. And of course, Jesus, it gave him the power and the joy set before him to endure the cross. When we step into that unknown, in these uncertain times, when we don't feel equipped, when destruction becomes the norm, we need that transforming power of God's word and his presence to anchor us and to guide us. That's what gets us to the other side. If that's not enough, let's take a look at the second object, Aaron's staff. First, we find the tablet, God's law, his holy word. Now we see this strange staff in, in this Ark of the Covenant. Now, we can read about Aaron's staff in number 17. It uh, tells us that when Aaron was blessed, uh, they, they took the different staffs of the leaders of the 12 tribes, they had their names on them, and then they, they set them down, and the next morning they came back to the tent of meeting, and Aaron's staff had budded, it had blossomed. Almonds. Almonds. So strange. But symbolic, to say the least, right? All through the Bible, 
we can study that, that almonds really, um, they represent something pretty special. The almond tree is the first tree to blossom. So in a way it represents spring. And I guess we could think of it this way that, you know, if we're in the middle of chaos, trials and uncertainty, and we walk into God's presence, we are walking into a spiritual springtime, bursting forth the promises of God. That's a beautiful word picture. We are walking into the presence of God. It's a springtime of spiritual promises bursting forth in our life. But, but there's more. It's, the almond tree is not only the first to blossom, it's the last to harvest. It's the last to harvest. The fruit of the almond tree represents the fact that above all things, God will exalt his name and his word, and God will see through the promises of his word. They will be delivered. The hope that blossoms in our life through God's word is, is the full fruition of everything that he promised for us. Joshua will later write um, that God's word will be kept. It'll be true. It'll never fail. Every promise God made to the people will come true before Joshua's time, during Joshua's time, and all the way into our present time. So when we walk into this land of uncertainty, we know that that very promise holds for us too. God's word will come true. And the last thing we see in the Ark of the Covenant is, is the manna. And, and this, of course, just represents God's daily bread given to the Israelites as they wandered through the desert, and it sustained their very life. And manna symbolizes God's amazing, amazing provision. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. So you see that, God, that God's presence is right here, his holy and precious word, his promises springing forth, bursting new every morning and coming to full harvest in our lives, and God's all-sufficient, all-sustaining provision. I think these are just tremendous reminders for people that no matter how bad and difficult and uncertain life gets, moving into God's presence, surrounding your life with God's presence is life-sustaining. Children who live in trauma and difficult ways, they learn quickly that anything they cling to evaporates in their hands. It just fails. God's presence never fails. It never fails and remains a rock through our storm. Now, the second thing we're going to see in this wonderful text that Tim read for us is this. Not only do we surround our life around the presence of God, but we make every effort to follow God's presence wherever it should go. We engage and surround God's presence, but we better follow God's presence as well. From our text in Joshua 3, we can see that they are instructed to keep a thousand yards behind the Ark of the Covenant. That's a long way. That's, that's 10 football fields. But to follow is, is kind of interesting. It's on the one, on one hand, yes, they, they are simply to follow the cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, but as you read further in Joshua, that this term follow, there's more to it than that. Because to follow in Hebrew also means to walk. And to walk means they are to order their life in such a way. They are to order their life in such a way and make adjustments and alignments according to God's holy word and commands for them. It is to align our life with God's. And of course, this has been Israel's problem. 
This has been their problem all along. They, they failed to align their life according to God's commands and God's word. They, they instead aligned their life to some sort of ideal. And we see it over and over through, through the Israelites that after God brought them out of Egypt, they grumbled, they complained, they compromised. And it's so frustrating to read that. And at the same time, it's, it's comforting as well. On the one hand, we, we can see God saying, you don't want what I've promised for you. It's right there. If only you would have aligned your life to my commands and my promises. It's all right there. So God said, I will raise up the next generation. But sadly, again, this tale of the Israelites bumbling and stumbling about is, is comforting because it reminds us of our failures, ourselves. Because we too often miss the blessings God has prepared for us. Because we've walked another way. But when we begin to follow God and align our life and our values to follow his commands, he will begin to show us ways to come into his presence and truly follow him. Oh, that language, that profanity, that language we use as a youth, we begin to recognize by the presence of God that it's not holy or pleasing. The mind that wandered through fantasy and sexual immorality, now we, we seek things that are filled with love and hope and purity. All the plotting and the worrying and scheming to get rich quick. You know, we, we drop that when we come into God's presence and we begin to align our life with him and we begin to trust in his holy provision. And it's our desire to honor him with our resources and blessings. When we begin to align our life with God's commands, we truly live out Philippians 4.8, that, that whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right and pure and lovely and admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things, care about such things, follow these things. God's presence rested on the Ark of the Covenant. They kept their distance because they, they knew and understood that it was holy but they followed it. They knew God's presence rested there as they were about to go into a land unknown. Now, there are things in our life, we would all agree, that we are following because we know God's presence is all over that. And, and we follow that. But when you walk into areas that are uncertain and unclear, as perhaps the times we live in right now, I think the questions we start to ask are, is God really all over this? Is God moving in this area of my life, working in this area of my life? And the answer is yes, yes. And we can see it in our text right here. Point number three, not only do we surround our lives with, the, with his presence, not only do we follow his presence, but from our text we can see that we are to expect God to do amazing things. That's exactly what they're told before they cross the Jordan. They're about to enter this land, this very unfamiliar land, filled with God's promises. Still, it's going to be challenging. They're going to have to new, uh, use new skill sets. They're going to have to be creative. There will be opposition and battles. They're going to have to think differently, and it's going to be extremely challenging and frightening. Remember, these are not warriors or soldiers. These are farmers looking over at Jericho, 
They can see Jericho and its fortified walls, and, and they're instructed to take Jericho, but first they need to cross this Jordan River. Now, the Jordan is, is not the Mississippi River. It's not even the Connecticut River. It's really a very small river. But wouldn't you know that, that God told them to cross the Jordan at flood stage, an impossible and dangerous task. And Joshua wrote in verse 5, Consecrate yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Now, some are going to translate this to say that God will do a miracle for you tomorrow as you cross the Jordan. And I don't think that's accurate because the scriptures say amazing things, plural. God will do miracles among you. And it's an incredible idea when we walk with God into an uncertain future that we can expect God will show up. He will make himself known. He will do miracles, extraordinary things. Paul says beyond all that we could ever hope or ask or think. Maybe above all the things that they're asked to do, this might be the most challenging, the most difficult, that they could expect God to do miracles for them. And maybe that's true for us too. We can claim Jesus as, as our Lord and Savior, and, and we can try and hope our life aligns with him. But to expect God to do miracles on our behalf, I think we struggle with that. We struggle to believe that God will do amazing things, miracles for me. But when we walk with God in his presence, when we follow and align our life with him, we must expect God to deliver. We must expect God to perform miracles in our lives, extraordinary things. Yes, in us, salvation, yes, but also for us again and again, showing up by his word and his promise that God will go before us and he will move mountains. And that's what this story Joshua is describing tells us. And God did indeed raise up those waters of the Jordan and they walked across the Jordan River on completely dry land. Soon after, they took Jericho. And I think we need to expect that God is going to go before us as well and do extraordinary things. I think it's worth asking the question to each other often, what miracles do you expect the Lord to perform for you? What mountains do you expect him to move in the next six months on your behalf? I'll, I'll end with this. I love to run, and I love our, our Belchertown Amherst bike trail. It's about 10 miles from starting point to uh, the bridge in Amherst, and it's just filled with nature and wildlife. It's just beautiful. I've seen beavers, snakes, deer, fox, and, and even a bear right on the path while I was running. It's amazing. That's why my wife will never run with me. One of a couple reasons. But you know what else I always see when I'm on that trail? Every time, bird watchers. They're dangerous because they don't move and, and they're not looking for me. And my head's down and it, it's scary. But th these are people of all ages with binoculars and paper and pen and notebook and cameras. And they're out there. They're quietly searching for that next beautiful, precious sighting. I think, isn't that how we ought to be with, with our great God? Excited 
and out there every day expecting to see God, expecting to see God show up, reveal himself, and do a miraculous thing in our lives. You know, I bet when the, the bird watchers go out, they, they expect to hope and hope to see something amazing. They don't go out there and go, I'm not going to find anything today. You know what they do? That when they find something, I think this is what they do, they record it. They, they take a photo of it for evidence. They celebrate their discovery, and they can't wait to go home and post it or share it with a friend of what they found today. And you know what that does to them? It drives them right back out there the next day, hoping to see something amazing and wonderful and special to share and to fill themselves with awe. I think there's a lot we can learn right here from bird watchers. When we look outside, we, we see construction, right? And perhaps, you know, we are crossing our Jordan right now. We're in the middle of a, a pandemic, the most uncertain of times, and, and this new sanctuary is going to be built. Now, we have tried to grow and build this church, our ministries, and the people around God's presence. God started a revival here in 1981, calling our pastor here to align the people to his word and to have the people follow God's commands. We have seen 40 years of testimonies of God doing miracles in the hearts of those who would believe. And God has blessed us with resources overflowing. And so we are, we are doing it. We're crossing over. We're building this sanctuary. But it will fail and it will stumble if we don't expect God to show up and do something amazing and extraordinary through that tool in the lives of believers today and those that will come. What miracles do we expect God to perform right here? What's God going to do in the next six months to move mountains here at Christ Community Church? I know we don't know the future, and these are crazy, uncertain times, but I do believe God wants us to lean in, surround ourselves with his presence, follow him, and expect that he will do miracles and amazing things. When this happen, happens, and it will, it will happen, let, let's together be filled like the bird watchers with awe and amazement, excited to share what we found as we enter into God's holy presence. And may that take us to a point where we can't wait to share and glorify his holy name. Amen. Father God, we do praise and love you. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God that goes before us, that there is no reason for us to fear or be dismayed. You will never leave us or forsake us. We thank you, Lord, that you're a God that does extraordinary things in us through the salvation we find in Jesus Christ and for us day by day. May your name be glorified and lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen.